Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest with us on the Spirit of EQ podcast. We have Luke Cavanaugh, who is communication leader for Inter-IKEA Group, America's region. I've really been looking forward to connecting with Luke in this uh, platform, and uh, here we are. So welcome, Luke, to the Spirit of EQ podcast. Thanks, Eric. It's uh, really uh, great to be with you. It's uh, I've been really looking forward to it as well. So, you know, it, it, there's no reason for us not to just jump right in, right? So um, you and I have had multiple conversations, quite frankly, now over years. So there's a plural there, which blows my mind, by the way. It, it does not, it seems like it shouldn't be me saying, well, I think that was 2020 when we first started talking, right? Um, but so much has gone that way in, in our current era. So uh, Luke, maybe can you tell the audience, our audience, a little bit about what your role is, what you do, um, and, and go as detailed or as high level as you feel comfortable. Yeah, sure. Um, it, yeah, I agree about the the years thing. You know, it's gotten it's gotten a little bit. It, it's really difficult. The sense of time is really strange since yes. about twenty twenty, right? It's it's it, with the years thing. It, certain things seem like five minutes ago, and then certain things you're like, how long ago was that? Um, so I agree. Uh, but coming back to my role in IKEA, yeah, I mean, I, I've been working in in various aspects of the IKEA business for. Uh, for almost 20 years now, and I say the IKEA business because IKEA now is is a huge uh, is a huge global business. Uh, of course, working wor- you know working working with home furnishings uh, mainly, um, mm-hmm. working with creating creating a better everyday life at home uh, for people. And of course, we you know if if you say there there are you know I, I could say. To simplify it, there are two main big parts of the IKEA business. One is run, one is operating retail stores, right? Uh, so, and and then, but but then everything you would pretty much everything you would buy when you go into an IKEA store, or if you buy online from IKEA, is also a product that's been developed by uh, a, a bit by by the IKEA organization. So it's a so it's a, a large product development organization and a large retailing operation, um, spanning yeah. spanning the globe. So uh, right now. Now I, I work with uh, an organization that that works with purchasing and logistics. Uh, so so the purchasing of goods from manufacturers in the Americas region, North America, South America, and then moving those goods uh, throughout the region. So importing them mm-hmm. from other parts of the world uh, to move them around around the Americas, um, and also you know buying buying goods that are made by suppliers here uh, in in North and South America. 
Um, and okay. so we, we've got an organization now of about uh, about uh, 300 people or so based in um, just outside uh, the Philadelphia area. Now, that's where I'm sitting. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have an office in Mexico City and then we have a, an office down in, in Curitiba, Brazil. And I work a lot with with leadership and and strategic strategic communications, lots of internal communication, lots of change management, uh, lots of people development work. Um, I have a pretty mm-hmm. cool role that allows me to kind of extend into a lot of different areas, but the base of my my career in IKEA has always been focused around uh, around communication work, um, and I've had really the privilege to extend that into a lot of different places um, in my twenty years here. Wow, wow, that's great, that's great. So that that leads me kind of to my first question for you. Um, so, Luke, your, your role is very diverse inside of uh, the IKEA world. Um, so, how did EQ? sort of get there that was it just you kind of on your own self-directed path or was there something organizationally uh but how did you come uh, familiar that way yeah um i can start that by saying it is definitely a mixture of my personal and and professional journey um that that led me to to the area of kind of working with eq um in a, in a business context but um i guess that would go back to you know i i've uh as you can like the mid 2000s, um, so maybe 15 years ago, um, mm-hmm. I, as I got more into my my career at IKEA, um, you know, I, I had again I use the word privilege, the privilege of 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 having managers who invested in me personally, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and then and then IKEA is a pretty people focused, pretty human focused company, so lots of lots of personal development opportunities, um, mm-hmm. and, and very very human feeling personal development opportunities in Ikea. And so I was working with a part of the organization um, that was just kind of forming its own corporate structure, which was our organization that in, in North America at the time that worked with distribution um, that had been kind of like a, a, an aspect of our retail business. And then was kind of, it grew to the point where it spun off and needed to become its own, its own organization. And I had the role of working with, with the starting up kind of a communication function uh, in the distribution organization. Um, and at, at some point in, in that, um, in that role that I had in that organization, we, we began as a company working with change management, uh, and certainly that was something I didn't know much about at the time. Um, mm-hmm. and it was really, fo- it was focused on, you know, the company had looked and said, we've had, we, we've, we we're trying to, you know, we're growing globally and trying to become, trying to come to grips with the idea of being a big global company, um, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to a collection of many different parts that operates in different countries, you know, and that involved a lot of, you know, try, trying to, m- modernize IT systems. And of course, it still involves that actually to this day, I think as it does for every company. But, but back then they were finding, okay, we, we had these we had these great plans for IT system rollouts uh, on paper, and then they would they would just not meet the mark. In reality, like the, the, everything would be delayed by years. And and oh my, <laughs> you know, they, they, what they were finding was that was that it, it wasn't a problem really with the systems so much as it was the problem of of the systems meeting people and the change that it entailed for people. So, so IKEA had invested in 
invested with it together with a couple of other countries. And I think some aspect of the government of Scotland was involved. A business school in Europe called INSEAD was involved. And we partnered with, there were a couple of other companies that were involved in this kind of approach to developing uh, change management. Um, and, and we developed a change management model. And many of the concepts that we work with now have become quite familiar in the business world. But the thing, the aspect of that, that really resonated with me were when we got into the aspects of how people felt when things would change mm. um, in, in their reality. And, it, and it, you know, there, there were, there, cause there were pieces of it that were just sort of about rolling out a project and how you structure that in a good way and how you plan that in a good way. But then, then there were bigger pieces of it that were like, here, are, here's how people are going to feel. And here's what people's reactions are going to be. Things like, you know, people will like, like when change happens, there's going to be a natural tendency for many people to focus on what they are going to lose in the change and feel very worried about that. Or people are going to feel like they are um, like they're the only ones going through something difficult, even though everyone around them is basically going through the same thing. Um, and I mean, that resonated with me literally because I, I don't think at that point in my life, um, I, I like, I realized that anyone could sort of identify with what I was going through on the inside, to be honest with mm. you, you know? And so the mm. things that, that that were in that program started to wake me up on the inside a little bit and say, wait a second, like my, my experience like is unique, but it's also being shared by many other people because it seems to be like many of the things that I'm going through that I struggle with, um, as I try to navigate, you know, life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up and I try to navigate these new, you know, the business world, which I never really anticipated becoming a, being a part of, um, you know, these things I were going through this, this change management approach was speaking to those things that I was starting to feel. Um, and so I really wanted to bring this to other people. I just, um, I, my intuitive feeling there was that if I'm go, if I'm, if this waking me up when I hear this material it's it's probably other pe people are going to feel the same way. So I had a real, um, a real hunger to try and to bring this, this change management work to, to other people. And it really did, you know, as I started, I became a facilitator of this leading and change program that we had developed and I kind of brought it out and it, it, it the conversations I would have and the connections that I would build with people uh, were much different than anything I had experienced before in the business mm -hmm. world. Um, and I got a lot of energy from that. Um, and, and then, so as I, and then as I progressed through, then eventually I, I, um, of course went through a lot of change in my own life. I got married and became a father. And in, in, in around 2013, I decided to, uh, to take a, a job in working in Sweden, working over, over in Elmhold, Sweden. And I mentioned, uh, I mentioned IKEA is a big product development organization. Um, so our, you know, our, our product development base and the, where the company was founded is a little village in the middle of, in, in Southern Sweden, kind of in the middle of the forest. Um, mm -hmm. And I took a job based over there and suddenly found myself, you know, I moved from living in the, living in center city, Philadelphia to with a, with a one-year-old son and a wife um, to, wow. uh, to, the, to the forest in Sweden. Um, and, you know, where, where like, you know, you know, we landed there and, and you, you, you know, you, you couldn't even, 
there were not ways to distract yourself, put it that way. Uh, That was the first first time I realized something about American culture, which was all the different ways we have to distract ourselves in this little village. Like you couldn't go shopping to distract yourself. You couldn't watch TV to distract yourself. We didn't have the same kind of like TV over the internet in in 2013 that we do today. Um, So I had, I had, you know, I had walks in the forest and I had, I had podcasts and books to, um, to, and, and meditation to, to kind of, you know, and that, that was a whole reframing at that point in time of, of my, of my, but, but so anyway, so that was a big change point for me. And, and I came, I came to EQ now I'm, I'm still arriving at the process of how I connect with the EQ. I hope this is okay. Uh, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Good. Um, so, so at, at some point I was walking in the forest during that, what, what I would do at that time. Well, one of the cool things about being, about living in, in Sweden at that time was that like, uh, during, during this part of the year that we're in right now, July, for example, you know, it, it, it stayed light until, I don't know, I think probably 10 30, 10 45 at night. So I could, I could, I could put my son to bed or I could help get my sick make dinner, help get my son to bed and then go out and play nine holes of golf after that. Um, so I would go over to golf course. Play, you know, I would play nine holes of golf by myself and I would listen to podcasts while I did it. There would be, there would be nobody else out there. Maybe one wow. or two golf. And I used to listen to a podcast by a guy named Mark Marin. Have you ever listened to his podcast yeah, before? I have not listened to his podcast. I've heard of him though. Yeah, he's a fantastic interviewer uh, and a really authentic guy who has gone through, a, you know, a life of, you know, uh, trying to become a comedian and, uh, you know, struggled with failed relationships and substance abuse. And he was he was interviewing somebody and I was really into that. I can't remember who he was interviewing, but he at some point talking about their sort of their sort of struggles with life and change and relationships. He he said to the guy, do you, do you ever read Goldman? Um, and, and the guy said, yeah, oh yeah. So he's like one of my, one of my guiding stars. And, uh, and so I wrote that down at the, I was wow. like, oh, what are they talking about? But I want I was like, I want to be in their conversation because they're, they're hitting on yeah. things that are yeah. right now. Uh, and I, so I, I immediately, I got home and I looked up Goldman and I saw that Goldman had a book titled emotional intelligence. And I said, that's yep. the phrase I'm looking for. And so I devoured that book. Um, and, and, and then, and that, you know, that was just this really deep development of all the tip of the iceberg um, principles that I had sort of come to with my work with change management, uh, yeah. because that talked about things that people are going to go through. Um, but it didn't, you know, my, my earlier experience hadn't talked about really how to get deeper on that stuff, but the Goldman book yeah. did. Um, and then, for, you know, be, and then after that, I started looking more to, you know, people that even took that concept further. And that's how I came to came to six seconds. Um, so so that's yeah, a yeah. long answer that has more to it. But we can we know that's it. very interesting, Luke, uh, because uh, as a point of clarity for you and for the audience, uh, I now do remember that podcaster. And because when you said it struggles of being a comedian and I'm going, wait a minute, that guy's in my library. I can see his face with the beard and he's kind of got the East coast, uh, uh, kind of, uh, accent or whatnot. But, um, you know, here's, here's the thing. And this is the part that really drew out my curiosity and what you were talking about. Did you find that the things you were learning helped you as you navigated that move to Sweden? Um, the, I mean, they were, they were essential, um, because that whole period was, uh, you know, that whole period was, 
a really transformative, you know, I, I almost, I, I almost use, I, I don't, you know, maybe being caught in a whirlpool or, uh, or a tsunami or maybe even a big bang. I don't know for me, but it was, mm-hmm. or maybe the big bang was a little bit earlier, but it, it was, I mean, it was a period of just kind of, uh, you know, one of the, it was one of the things I've done in my life where, you know, kind of, a where I took a big risk, you know, yeah, and it did, yeah. There was no real way to make sense of why I or we, my wife and I chose to do that at that time. It was just like, you know, let's let's do something and just make it work, you know. But and I quickly realized I needed I needed um, I needed a, a new set of tools and coping skills uh, to get through that. Then I then I had available to me when I got on that plane and left. Yeah, because uh, the thing that that I think about, you know, is I'm kind of imagining that conversation that you had with her, and I don't know if it went this way. And certainly, I'd like to hear your uh, how did she respond to the idea of you saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about taking a position in sweep, um, and all the, that comes with that." Um, was she open to the idea, or was it kind of let's think about it, or how how did that part go? If you if you uh, care to share. <laughs> uh, let's let's see. Well, if we put this into the, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too far with the audience here, but if I if I reference the six seconds model, uh, and talk about the skill of uh, apply consequential thinking, uh, I have a, I have a thing in my profile where I'm really high in that skill and really low in others, so I tend to really uh, over evaluate uh, and and really focus okay. on downside risk. And my wife is the exact opposite. Um, so the conversation was more like from her standpoint, yeah, like, when can we leave? When can we go and do this? And, and I was, oh, wow. bit, let's think of the trillion different things that could possibly go wrong here. Um, yeah. but, you know, but I recognize that. And I just said, you know, I think maybe your quick answer is what I need here, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Cause, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I mean, so much of, uh, the work we do, you know, it, it can tend to lean into the, you know, the workplace and career and things. And certainly there's more, I want to talk to you about that, but we're talking about personal stuff, which I think in many respects can be even more, uh, well, certainly more consequential, right. In its nature. Um, have you seen, um, other situations in your personal life where some of the things that you've been learning and have learned about EQ play a, play a role? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think for me, um, for, for me, certainly there, there are, there need to be appropriate boundaries between your personal life and, and your professional life. But one of the, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why, and we can come back to this and one of the reasons why I, why I like to work with this topic with people is to try and, to try and so it's, I think sometimes some of us have too big of a too rigid of a boundary between our personal life and our professional life, and we see them as these separate entities. And you know, mm-hmm. with the caveat that there there are appropriate boundaries, it's you in both places. Um, and so, and, and you know, it, it takes a lot of energy to be a to be a different version of yourself in those two places. And for me, it's like. I want to be kind of more, you know, to the greatest extent possible. I want to be the same person in my personal life um, that I am in my professional life. And I want that to be okay for most people too, um, because I think you, you get more energy out of that. But coming back to your question about, are there other examples from my personal life? I mean, yeah, like I'm a, I, I'm a, a my kids now are, are nine and six years old and I, I, 
one of the great joys and privileges that I have right now is being a coach um, in their in their uh, sports. You know, they're both pretty sports crazy kids. My son especially is just head over heels for baseball. Um, mm. He and I were just down in Baltimore on on Sunday. Uh, to, he he really he wanted to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in person. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> Baltimore and 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 saw them play. And actually, got a great surprise when we learned that every Sunday at Camden Yards. Uh, kids under 14 get to run the bases on the field after the game. So he got to run the oh, bases wow. there on Sunday afternoon. And he oh, got cool. To meet, yeah. 10 feet away from Mike Trout. He was so, and so he, he's so into baseball. So this is taking me to where um, he, this year he stepped up a level in baseball. I'm just giving an example of how, of applying EQ mm-hmm. principles in, yep. in everyday life. He, you know, he, he stepped up a level in baseball to his first, his first year this year, you know, he's been playing for four or five years, but in the really kind of, you know, T-ball level and the kind of mm-hmm. modified limited rules versions of baseball. This year is pretty yep. close to full, you know, kid pitch, full rules, step up, playing with older kids, 10 year olds, he's nine. Um, and, you know, he was, he's a good little player and he was struggling through the middle of the year. Uh, not getting the results that he wanted in games. You could see his skills are there, but he just wasn't getting the results and um, really, really struggling with that uh, on a personal level. And I was going through everything in my bag to try and help him through that um, and try to manage myself because I want success for him. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, one, the one, one of the most powerful concepts that I, tried to draw on is this idea that, you know, emotions are temporary and things are temporary. And, you know, I came to the concept of a slump, um, you know, and, and I said, you know, you're in a slump and a slump is temporary. It's like you started off well, and now you're going through a difficult period. And, but, you know, with some effort, you can come out of that slump and get to the other side because the thing he was getting stuck on is, you know, every time he struck out, I am not a good player like that. That event defined me. I am not a good player. So I'm going to start to believe that I'm not a good player and to try and shift him around with, you know, exercise optimism tools and get him get him around to the idea that we can make a change in these results with some effort. Um, and he he grabbed onto that really quickly and just wanted to put in more effort, more effort, more effort. And then by the end, you know, it, it came to the championship game of the season and they had completely run out of pitchers and he had only pitched to three batters all year. And he walked all three of them and got taken off the mound. And then they completely ran out of pitchers coming out of the losers bracket. And um, he was the only choice they had. And he went out there and had to start the championship game and went out there and struck out five of the first six hitters in the first. Oh, my. (laughs) Wow. Around the mound, looking like he owned the place. And people are like, who is that kid? You know, and it was, uh, you know, if I could, it it was, you know, it was the pride of seeing your son succeed was one part of it. But the, the, uh, the, the fact that he had stayed and just put in effort together with me to be ready for the moment was, um, I, I mean, it was greater than anything I ever learned playing baseball myself. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's an example. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, Luke, uh, as you mentioned that, um, you know, as adults, right. And our, and again, in this personal sphere, um, well, my gosh, I mean, it goes for both personal and career. We all go through slumps, right? Yeah. I mean, we all can remember those times where, we kept trying, but it seemed that everything we were trying just didn't work. 
and it didn't work. And uh, I think from the things that we try to communicate is the more we understand how our brain works, it, it does help us navigate um, whether you're using the, the tools or the competencies or it's just because like what you said to him about these emotions are temporary because they are, they, they come and then they dissipate and you, there's another event or another problem or another opportunity. Um, I, I just find that story so in, inspiring because helping him understand, even at the age of nine, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, where was that for me 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and how easy it is to give in to thinking that a slump is really you versus it's it's an event. It's it's a time. It's a place in time. You know. Yeah. Um, so uh, when, let's shift a little bit and uh, look at the at the work sphere. Uh, and this is going to be kind of in parts. Um, you know, it's not going to be a surprise to you, surprise to any of our listeners about how much rapid change we're experiencing as it relates to the workplace. Um, and and that runs the gamut, right? I know um, there's some municipalities and cities where, you know, mass mandates and then the mass mandates go away and then they come back. Uh, there's some industries that are being disrupted because of supply chain stuff, right? Um, so just at a high level, and then we can drill down if, if, if we need to, what are some of the things that you've observed where EQ can be an ally for a business leader as they are encountering all of these different rapid changes. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think when I, I think back to the, the reality we have today and like how, how our, our approach to looking at change as a business um, is different than it was, you know, I mentioned beginning to work with the concept of change management back in the mid two thousands. And there it was like, it was much more like, okay, we're going to apply these principles when, you know, we have a specific change project that we are driving in the organization. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and though, certainly those, we still need to do that because we still do have, you know, we still do have change projects that where we need to apply a specific plan and specific principles and the, you know, it's got a defined beginning, middle and end um, or we hope it does anyway. Um, but then the bigger thing I think that we talk about so much more like together with with the leaders in my organization and, and my partner in, in people and culture, my partners in people and culture, because we kind of take the leadership, for, you know, we, we take the responsibility for or changed management in the organization is that is this idea that it's it's ever present. I mean, it's it's just it's the water we swim in now. Change is kind of like the water we swim in now. Mm. Uh, and so it's more about how do we just sort of um, how, how do we how do we live in change um, and, and not specifically just about how do we manage specific change um, processes. Uh, and, you know, that's that's really, I think, recognizing that it's really taxing on all of us um, and and that it creates uncertainty. And then how do we kind of transmute that energy into in, into into something positive? And I think that skill of exercising optimism 
is is really important. It's super important for leaders um, these days, um, which is, you know, it's not blind optimism. It's not telling people that things are always going to be all right. It's about, okay, um, you know, things today are not going the way we thought they were going to go yesterday. What choices do we have in this situation? Um, yeah. How, how do I, and I think another important point that I saw pointed out somewhere recently is even in change, how do we, how do we, you know, uh, validate the change, recognize the change, but also emphasize the areas of continuity that we have um, so that we sort of, you know, we sort of limit the scope of what's changing and then make our choices within that limited scope. Do you find, uh, Luke, um, I mean, because when you think about change that's directed organizationally, which maybe implies to a certain degree that you have some level of control because you've kind of made the decision that you're going to do things differently or you're going to, you know, you're going to change the technology from XYZ to ABC. But when major changes thrust upon you, it sounds to me like you guys did that from the perspective of mindset, right? Because you, you just said change is the water we swim in. I mean, that's a yeah. mindset thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, to some degree it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then mind is not, I don't know, you know, my, is mind is probably part cognitive, part emotional, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I think one, then one of the reasons we want to work with EQ, why, why I want to work with EQ is is to get people engaging both of those aspects and not ignoring one versus the other, because we need both, you know, to be able to swim in that water. Yeah. So we, we, I, I'm going to catch you there when it comes to uh, and I think you and I shared this article between each other some time ago about how there's certain certain words and certain emotions that are okay to sort of bring to the table. And then there's others that we avoid. Right. And do you believe that we should be fully engaged with all of them or, or is it, or is it important? I mean, I'm kind of setting you up because I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? So is yeah. So you're asking the question of should we fully engage in in a workplace context? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I right. I, I recall the article you're talking about, and 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 um, it was, <laughs> I think the phrase it was from the Atlantic, that, right? Wasn't that from where yeah, it was from? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and the yeah. phrase that the, the phrase that really stuck with me was you know kind of maybe kind of pro- provocative, but I think it was, I believe it was the the tyranny of forced positivity. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and, and that thing where we, where we, you know, get to an end of a meeting, we ask how everybody feels, and the only answers you hear are inspired and and um, and I, you know, other really positive sounding words. And I, so I, I hope that we do have meetings where people feel like that at the end. Um, I, but I, but I think we also, you know, I, I, I think it's. It, it doesn't help us engage with what's really going on um, when that becomes sort of the only aspect of emotion that's okay to express in the workplace. Now, at the same time, bound, you know, I talked about boundaries earlier. Boundaries. Yeah. You do have to have some appropriate boundaries between your work self and, and your business self. 
um, but that it's also, those shouldn't be too rigid as well. Um, And I think that's a big challenge that we have uh, in workplaces is how, you know, how, how do we engage a deeper level of authenticity and how do we, how are we able to express the, you know, the, the more difficult to feel feelings, um, the feelings of uncertainty, the feelings of not really understanding, you know, the feelings of like, I'm, I'm not really clear on exactly what's happening here. Um, yeah, I think that the person expressing those has a job to do in, in not expressing those in an angry or an invalidating way. And then we as leaders and we as kind of or, you know, informal or formal leaders in an organization have a job mm-hmm. to really invite people to to expand the spectrum of feelings that we express in the workplace, um, you know, so that people can be their more whole selves. And that so we're, we're, we're engaging what's really going on with people um, in in, you know, all the given situations that we deal with. Yeah, because you're ultimately describing the. Uh, well, at least in one facet, the importance of the psychologically safe environment, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, because I, I know Luke uh, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, I, <laughs> I was in the corporate uh, setting in America, and I, re- I remember the culture that I was in. It was very clear. You did not disagree with the herd opinion. You just yeah. didn't. Or if you did, I mean, you you be prepared because uh, yeah. you, you were going to experience some backlash for it. And I, I remember some of those times thinking, well, I'm not saying this to be a jerk or I'm not saying this to just be a, uh, you know, the contrarian just because I just want to be that. Uh, there, a lot of times it was rooted out of deep concern. Um, so kind of going back to what I was saying, the psychologically safe environment, um, is that a, a, a thing that you found that is necessary for people to, I guess, have the willingness to bring those maybe not so positive, if we can call it emotions? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, um, I think American culture is, is, I, I mean, I, I think American workplaces have a big opportunity to, um, to create, psychologically safe places for people. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll take this from a, from an interesting angle, like going back to the, to, to having lived and worked in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm working, I'm working now for a, you know, it's a global company, but it's a sweet, you know, Swedish culture is, is a very strong aspect of what we want to be our culture in Ikea. Um, and I, you know, one of my observations having lived and worked in Scandinavia for, you know, several years, is that um, you know you, you can make all sorts of philosophical arguments, and certainly we do here in in the United States about you know more socialized societies versus capitalistic societies. Scandinavia is certainly certainly more to the spectrum of of of, of socialized, um, you know, maybe you could say democratic socialism. But there's mm-hmm. this um, there there is this safety net that people have in those countries. Um, that to me, I, I feel intuitively and observationally gives people, I think there's a base of emotional wellness in those societies that's evident, um, mm. that, that, that is, there's, that is replaced here, here in the United States, we, you know, maybe there's, there's an opportunity to, to achieve more, you know, in terms of material gain in a capitalistic market, but the, 
the number, you know, the, the number of us that live without any real safety net um, is, you know, that has an impact on our emotional well-being too. And I think we yep. have a lot of we have a lot of just angst and anxiousness that's a part of being a part of American society. Um, that's that's it's there's a juxtaposition there just because I happen to, you know, have lived in, in both places. I, I see it and I feel it differently. And I, and I, so, so I think that in, in all, you know, all Americans live, you know, or, or many Americans live with uh, a certain sense of, I don't, I don't always, you know, I, I have the power to create the future for myself, but I, I don't have a lot of certainty about what it looks like. Um, and uh, I think that makes our life choices so much more momentous and people live with that. And I think we live with that in American workplaces and, being aware of that, that, you know, if you're in a workplace, everybody's dealing with that all the time is an important thing for leaders and for, for employers. I mean, I, I think the, the experience of having, you know, ha- having spent time in both places, just sort of, uh, it, it's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, any sort of a validated social theory or anything, but it's more, more, more observational. And it just, it jogs me to the idea um, that you know, it, it isn't to say that, I, I mean, I, I think with what's going on in the world today, um, folks in Sweden and Scandinavia are probably experiencing a heightened, you know, a heightened level of, of angst because they're subject to a lot of uncertainty about the future. Um, but it also highlights for me that I think, I think, you know, there's, there's more of that now in in the united states i think than there than there's been at any time at any point in my lifetime um and and that is that's that's the reality again maybe i use the phrase again i, I don't want to overuse it but that's another piece of the waters we swim in um mm-hmm. in any culture and, and when i so so when i go back to when i go back to the to the thing about change management that that struck a chord for me when i started when I started working with it in Ikea in the mid 2000s, what the message I took from it, maybe not exactly verbalized, but I'm able to verbalize it now looking back, the message I took about it, took from that was like, it was like the company was saying to me, like, we, we understand something about who you are as a human and we want to do things to, to, to meet that and, and help you have a better experience um, amid, cir- amid, amid circumstances that might feel difficult. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. just something I really want to take forward every day and something I think every company has the opportunity to do um, is just to understand more about people, who people are, be realistic about what they're going through. And, and you know, we say ch- this change is constant and we know how change can impact people. So let's, let's try and, you know, w- we need to work with that change to have good business results. We also want to work with that to, to sort of minimize the pain that that's inflicting on people every day and start to, you know, turn that into opportunities for even, even for development for them. So when you, when you talk about it from that perspective, and this leads me to another area that is connected, um, would be the employee engagement. And obviously in the United States right now, between inflationary pressures around things like gas and food uh, to, you know, all the various other things that we're encountering here uh, that I know, as you mentioned, that, that most 
I think most societies are experiencing some level. Uh, what's the window of how does EQ potentially support employee engagement in that environment? Well, I think um, I certainly don't. I th- this is this is like a that's like an up to the minute reality that we're in right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first step is to acknowledge that whether people are inside the workplace or outside the workplace, these factors are 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 impacting everyone and causing difficulty for everyone. And that difficulty is almost is pretty much entirely emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so step one is is to is is to, you know, I, is, is to acknowledge that that's, that's where most people probably are to some degree right now. And then, and then step two is, you know, how can we, how can we increase this, this, the psychological safety of our atmosphere uh, here uh, in the workplace to, to make it, to, 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 to be more of a support to them than we otherwise would be if we were just saying, you know, Hey, when you're when you're at work, you're not in the outside world. You're you're here to do, you're here to do work and manage gas prices on your own. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. Um, and at the same time, I think that communicates also that healthy boundary that uh, the organization is not responsible for your happiness and, yeah. and fulfillment. You, you, that that's something you've got to own. But certainly the organization can create environments uh, where being happier or choosing happiness uh, becomes much more efficient, right? Yeah. Or, or you know, maybe it's not even being – I mean, I, I'm not sure that I can sit and I, – I can't really – you know, there, 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 are some, there are some weird, unfamiliar, uncertain vibes in the world, I think, right now. And I, for, for, for not everybody, like the choice isn't right now, feel happy about that. You know, it's, it's more like, Hey, I can, I can, I can validate that this is, you know, tough in different ways for all of us and that we all have certain, certain areas of life where we find happiness and certain areas of life that are really, that are really, that that are draining us right now. Um, And, you know, that, that spirit of, of at least validation and, and some, and maybe try to find some sense of togetherness um, within that is, is maybe something we can look at. You know, because that's interesting, Luke, you say that, and I'm glad you kind of course corrected me a bit because I, I think I, I saw it in a video from uh, Simon Sinek about uh, really it's more about fulfillment than it is happiness. Because happiness, as you alluded to, um, some days you're happy, some days you're not, some, some situations you're happy about, some situations you're not. But fulfillment kind of communicates a steadiness of, you know, um, I really, I find tremendous value in this type of work, even with the potential aggravations and frustrations that come along with any type of work, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that that certainly can be. Yeah, I think I think fulfillment is often we we have that. I mean, I I, that that same where you just pointed out a course correction. I mean, that that sort of thing happens in in conversations all the time internally when we talk about how do we manage this period of time internally and i I think it comes from a good place when we say we want 
we want you know people to feel happy when they're at work. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the, but but at the same time, then if we really think about it, and we really think about those of us who who work with EQ, of course, the goal of EQ is not really to only feel the the positive feelings. In fact, that's the opposite of the goal of, of working with EQ, right? Yes. Um, so, so we can't we can't try to you know synthetically engineer an environment here that feels that feels happy all the time in a in a sea of difficulty going around us. Uh, maybe that, that that that's that's kind of what Disney World is, right? Yes, yeah, right. That <laughs> happiness that you can pay for if you need it. Um, yeah. You can't for that in a workplace. Right? Yep. 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 And you know what? Um, what I I have found, uh, and I'm glad you kind of hit on that a bit about the idea about positive and negative emotions. I mean, uh, I, I used to be in a certain level of camp that believed things like sadness were things to uh, see how much of that you could avoid, right? And uh, when, you know, in doing the work that we do, uh, just as it's impacted my personal life, um, I almost have come to a place when sadness, for example, in my case, comes along. Before I want to go ahead and run to get an answer so I can get past it, I'm learning more to linger in it a little bit. And, I, and, and Luke, hear me out. And for our audience, it's not, oh, I'm going to spend days in, in, in the cave and, and feel terrible. And I, I don't mean it like that, but it, it's almost like, you know, when you're about ready, somebody's about ready to leave and you, you kind of put your hand out on their arm and say, hold, hold, hold on, hold on for one second. I, I have one more thing. It's kind of that, you know, wait a minute. Maybe sadness is not trying to pull the rug out from underneath me. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe when you talk about lingering in it for a little longer, it's about getting curious about it to find out what it's telling you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, so, go ahead. A, 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 I think a big piece of that equation is, is kind of, you know, is, is trying to work with our fear of not nice to feel feelings. And you can only really teach yourself to linger in a not nice to feel feeling and get curious about it once you've taken the kind of the, the kind of extreme fear and anxiety of those types of feelings out of the equation. Yeah. And, you know, um, and, and you've heard this from me directly uh, in, in our audience. Uh, we've mentioned it uh, many times as well about the importance of, of sort of developing and building a practice around emotional intelligence, because I wouldn't want anyone out there today to, to go, wow, you and Luke are talking about this like it's the back of your hand and, you know, this and that and then and then it, it really requires some hard work. And, you know, Luke, I mentioned about the part about sadness. I'm going, I really that's not a place I typically want to go hanging out. Right. But I, I, I don't think anyone would say. Well, there's a way you can go through your life without feeling sadness. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just inevitable. Um, so yep. let's talk a little bit about that idea of the practice of EQ, right? And, and I know I'm kind of going off of uh, not directly talking about employee engagement, but I, I think it's important that people know that we're, we're also talking about something that you've, you, you do develop over time, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you could also go back to you, you develop it over time. Um, and it can, I, I think, to me, like the, the, the EQ, like, again, we, we both work with the six seconds model. That's one that I like. There are other models as well. 
Um, and it sort of provides this easily accessible thing uh, that can that can take you down other roads that are a little bit off the off the EQ map as well. I mean, mm -hmm. it can help you start to identify other things that you need to that you need to look into. And certainly, you know, that that's happened with me. It's happened with other people that I've worked with with the model. Um, it's not to say that just applying, you know, an EQ process sort of, you know, cures everything or, or makes everything go well. Um, it can yeah. be a, it, it can be a, a, a lens to put on that helps you see things in a certain way that ultimately leads to you putting on another lens to look at it from another way. You know what it reminds me of too, um, uh, I'm, I'm a musician, uh, which I don't know if you knew that about me, but um, I, um, I find that, you know, when I look back over time, when I first learned the instrument, and I remember the, the teachers just telling me to play these scales, right? Mm -hmm. And you had to play them over and over and over and over again. And I remember specifically one particular teacher when am I going to get to the place where I can play what I want to play? I don't want, I, you know, this is kind of boring. You know, I, I'm, I'm just sitting in my room and I'm over and over again. And I remember him looking at me and said, you know, all that music that you bring in here that you tell me you like, you keep working on the scales and then you'll be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it doesn't come before you do that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think about, your, I think about your son, the same thing as practice, right? You don't yep. develop a good swing or, or a good pitch just because you want to strike out five batters out of six. There had to be some level of, I had to work on that a bit. Yep. Um, so in, 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 in our time, um, you know, as I'm thinking about it, Luke, um, this is a kind of the, uh, um, the part of our show that uh, we try to always ask our guests. Um, if you could go back and whisper in the ear of the um, 30 year old Luke Cavanaugh, what are you, what would be one thing you'd whisper to him? Just what comes to your mind? Well, I think, um, I think one thing I would say is, uh, is that uh, if you, you know, things are, things are going to keep working out if you just, apply the best of what you said, what, what the best of yourself and the best of what's inside of you, things are going to keep working out. And, um, and also I would say the world is not judging you as harshly as you think it Ooh. is. <laughs> wow. Oh goodness. I, I may yeah. have to, we, we may have to have a pause for a commercial because <laughs> that's really <laughs> powerful, man. <laughs> uh yeah and that's probably my uh my my personality bent as well toward yeah um yeah wow that's that's great luke um so uh we also like to give our guests the opportunity to talk about some things or a thing or whatever that you're excited about that's going on whether it's inside of directly ikea or outside what what's what's happening in that regard well, I, I, you know, we, I, I think on an ongoing basis, if I could connect it to the, to, to the topic of EQ, um, I have, you know, I, I've had really good support from my organization here in, in uh, working with people um, for probably the past like three years. Uh, I've done, I've done uh, 
introductory workshops on the topic of EQ that are always uh, entirely um, voluntary for people to attend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the first time I offered it, I had I had 45 people sign up in a wait list of another 45. Um, and uh, and then, you know, it's usually maybe a, I think the first couple of times we did it, maybe a two or three hour um, kind of interactive EQ workshop, getting them, getting them just used to the basics of the idea. What is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe doing a little bit of a really high level, uh, um, you know, uh, report on their, on their personal strengths uh, as, as far as EQ goes. And then offering those people the opportunity to go deeper into uh, into the more detailed assessment and debrief and, and kind of personal plan making. Um, and over over the course of three years, you know, I've had the opportunity to really um, engage pretty deeply with, with some people uh, in the organization. I've felt really privileged. Again, I've used that word a few times, but this is, mm-hmm. that's, again, felt really privileged um, to, to, you know, to connect with people um, and help them understand their EQ profiles and how they can, how they can put that into play in their lives, uh, their work lives, their personal lives, and, and people do both. Um, and, and now actually, as we go through this, you know, big change coming out of the pandemic again, what I, I've, I've done, I've, I've gone back and looked at some of the people that I've engaged or gone back to the, to the records and, the, and, and looked at some of the people that I can, that I've engaged with on the topic of EQ in mm-hmm. the past two or three years and connected with them to say, you know, we talked about IQ, EQ a little, a while back, you know, how, how do you think we can use that to get us through this period of change that we're going through now, you know, um, change and uncertainty that we're going through now, you know, coming back to the office amid inflation pressures and changes and still kind of a pandemic ongoing and fears, you know, how, how can we create a good fulfilling workplace now? Uh, how, how can that be a tool? Um, can, can you be a leader in that? Can we lead together in that? Can we find a source of strength there? So that work that, that I've done is provide a little bit of a building block to go forward here in uncertain times. And then we're also working with, uh, we're working in the organization with uh, what we call a cohort, an EQ cohort of uh, of about 12 or so uh, leaders from a certain part of the organization to uh, have monthly meetings, theme theme based meetings, and a work group that each has uh, you know taken a taken an, an EQ assessment. It has our personal profile and to say you know how can we use this to to build the culture you know to keep data not to say. Not to say that we don't have the culture we want to have, but but you know, mm-hmm. building a culture is an ongoing, everyday process that never ends. And so, how do we make this a tool in addition to all the other tools that we have, um, you know, to build that that really human kind of fulfilling, psychologically safe culture where people are bringing more of themselves, um, you know, in a seamless way uh, every day, and and seeing this as a source of 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 strength in their lives. Wow. Wow. That's great. And, and I would say to encourage you, um, just some antidotal, um, data. Um, I was in an interaction with a national vendor who offers, um, mental health clinician type services for, um, they, the, the size of their, their customers are, are varied, but one of the things that they talked about and it was echoed by, some others, um, that many, many, especially the Gen Z's, they're asking what kind of mental health benefits do you offer as they come in as potential 
new employee, that kind of thing. And, and I know mental health, a lot of times we think of, oh, we have the, you know, with your benefits comes an 800 number, or you can seek out a counselor and a tele, you know, health type situation. But speaking of it from a more of a robust standpoint, now they, you know, of course, I would have been elated if they would have said, and looking for those who practice EQ and TQ, that didn't come up, but yeah. Yeah. I, I firmly believe if, if we've got a culture of people, and I don't think it's exclusively Gen Z, who are saying, hey, one of the things that I'm going to use as part of my decision-making grid is what do you offer as an employer versus this other employer, right? And it being in that, I, I tend to use the term brain health, which I like yeah. better, um, yeah. but yeah. It, it's stating they want it and they want it overtly, Luke. So hearing what you're saying about what, what you're doing um, says to me, okay, wow, that could be a very powerful tool in recruiting, you know, to be able to say here, not only do we offer the potential for clinician services, but there's also these three or four other things to help navigate change and, 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 and the volatility of, of where we're at. Um, and, and, and I want to get your thoughts on that, certainly, if there's something you, you, you think. But the second thing to encourage you is I had a meeting yesterday uh, with a potential client who expressed that emotional intelligence can't just be a one-off, you can't do this, and then thank you very much. And Luke hasn't always been like that. I mean, as you probably guessed, at least in our world, right? Uh, pre-pandemic potentially and if i use that as a date range you could have well just come in and do a do a presentation second thing i would throw out to you luke to encourage i had a meeting with uh, a prospective client who expressed to me the importance of frequency in learning around emotional intelligence uh he, he pretty much came out and told me we're, we're not looking for just some one-off situation and I think that's a very encouraging thing. Um, but like, I wanted to throw those two out to you because I think it kind of reinforces the, the kind of thing that you guys are doing um, as it relates to uh, your employee base too. Uh, yeah, let's see, I have a couple of thoughts about that. I mean, I, I think one, one is that, that what you mentioned about, you know, the Gen Z base being much more forward in, in talking about mental health services um, as a differentiator for their their choices. I mean, that to me is just a, that's just a really positive, uh, sign, I think, because, um, you know, it, that people's people's making those demands is just, is, is, is a really good thing because there are, you know, whole previous generations of people that never had, um, any, any access or, or, you know, never had that suggested to them really. And I'm, you know, my generation yeah. might be on the line where, you know, it started to become more okay. And maybe that's a sign, maybe that sign from Jenny, Gen Z is that it starts to become just a, you know, something that's just there, something that's part of our everyday lives. And it's just the same as, you know, being able to go and get a, a shot or, a, you know, treatment for the flu um, because it's just part of your overall yeah. health. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be a big part of ex employee experience as well. 
Um, and then the second piece about frequency of practice in, in EQ, I mean, we've come around, I just wanted to, one thought that I have about that, you know, the mm-hmm. frequency of practice, I mean, it comes back to that, that, that idea that the slump metaphor, um, mm-hmm. is, 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 is that's really important. And you're, you, you have a practice, you're going to go through slumps with the practice probably too. Um, Absolutely. The, the thing that I would say that I think the thing to look out for there is that when I, when I, you know, when I had my, when I had my son in his slump, it's very, he mm-hmm. had very clear indicators of where he was, when he was going to be out, out of that slump. He knew what that looked like. That looked like, you know, getting hits in games that looked like striking people out. It looked like, you know, feeling better on mm. the field. So it was, right. it was, it was very clear which goals to drive at. I think when we as adults go through a slump um, with how we're feeling and how we're experiencing life, the trap for us is that we have so many options for quick fixes to make us feel like we're out of the slump for a second. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and one of the, one of the thoughts that, that I have around, you know, going back to that metaphor of, of, of being in a slump is, you know, that we as adults, when we start to experience a, a slump of how we're feeling in everyday life or, or whatever our motivation or anything, we have so many options for quick fixes that can make us feel like we're out of the slump quickly. Um, but that, that may not, that may not target what we're really, what we're really after. And, um, and that, that's where, that's where I think, you know, EEQ is one of those things that can really help us get to that target. but it's not a quick fix. It's a practice fix, you know? Um, and, and so that, that's, I think that's one of the biggest traps that we have as adults is that we can, we can, we have a lot of different ways that we can create a quick feeling that makes us, you know, feel like things are back on track, but it doesn't last. And, and that's, that's where, where I think we want, we want to see, you know, we, we need to remember, um, that, uh, that it's a, that it's a practice-based thing and that we're going to go through slumps and that it takes getting back on the practice to get out of your slump sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. Really powerful. Well, Luke, um, as we've been talking, uh, it has created a bunch of other things that I could talk to you about, but I have somewhat of an obligation for your time and I have obligation for our recording time. So we're going to come to a close, but uh, hopefully you'd be willing to come back. We can do a part two and continued on uh, because this has been great. It really has been. Um, so with that, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And we look forward to the next time that we're together. Take care. Hi everyone. This is Eric Pennington with the spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So we're, we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. All but, right. But, but not, still, not totally we want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. 
Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.